Welcome to Discoculia Headlines Weekly, a podcast where we share news, information, resources, tips and tricks about Discoculia. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes and then search for Discoculia Headlines. You can also find us on the web at discoculiaheadlines.com and then click on the podcast page. Dus, wat is dit? Hier beginnen we mee. Ik lees dit eerst voor en dan geef ik hem gauw. Aan jou. Het heeft allemaal afgewerkt. Ik ben allemaal klaar. Oh, fantastisch. Ja. Dus we hebben er maar, wel, we hebben er drie tot, tot, tot drie en Autism and Discoculia. Digging into the approximate number system. Four benefits of considering neurodiversity in marketing and design. Special education, a growing priority in teacher training circles. BrainSync. Are Down syndrome and developmental dyscalculia related? Mathematical word problem solving. This is the wrap-up of the podcast of 2018. And here, between the champagne and all the goodies, we find Dr. Schroeder, the founder of Discoculia Services, and she is going to help us review the links for this week. Welcome, Dr. Schroeder. Well, thank you so much for having me with this rich table. I really enjoy all the goodies. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, um, so here we have a whole bunch of links and it's a little bit more than our our regular five links for the week. Um, And and let's talk about the first one. Um, It talks about autism and uh, and dyscalculia. So what what can we say about that? Is that related? Is Mm -hmm. it the same? Uh, Well, no, it's definitely not the same. Not the same. Um, But there is definitely some some overlap here in in symptoms. And this is about uh, a sophomore in uh, Phoenix who has dyscalculia. And she makes the point that since the movie Rain Man with Dustin Hoffman, everyone in the world thinks that every uh, person with autism is like Rain Man. Yeah, right. In in the movie. And she compares that with how people think about people with learning disabilities or dyscalculia. So uh, the important point. um, point here is that students need to be comfortable talking for themselves about their condition and the accommodations they need and deserve and don't feel uh, embarrassed about it or shy. Um, it is working with what they have and they try to do their best. They they work uh, obviously harder than a lot of other students right. to uh, master the same content. So she, they definitely need to get uh, the accommodations that, uh, that they need. And this video actually shows uh, her talking about her accommodations. It's, it's a really, it's a great example uh, of how to deal with dyscalculia in, uh, in a classroom. Okay. Okay. Well, super. Uh, thanks for that explanation. The, uh, the next link is where we're going to dig into the approximate number system. What is the approximate number system? Well, the approximate what can we learn there? A uh, number system is one of the main components of the number sense center uh, around which everything with uh, dyscalculia kind of uh, revolves. Okay. And what this uh, link tells us is that uh, they were um, researching the relation between uh, different abilities of uh, kids uh, that were four years old. Okay. Now, they had uh, three groups and of, of uh, sorry, three activities. There was a 
non-symbolic numerical comparison task, which means what side of your uh, computer has more dots or which uh, plate okay. has more clicks. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's a bit of a difficult uh, way comparing. to express that. Right, comparing. And then a non-symbolic approximate addition task. So they didn't um, have to say exactly what it was, but to have a rough understanding. Is it so bigger or smaller? Bigger or smaller. So if you put two uh, dots together with two other dots, that the answer is not all of a sudden eight dots or less right. than what you started with. And also the third was a uh, standardized symbolic uh, math assessment. That means you write down okay. uh, numbers and you count and so on. Um, so the results uh, show us that uh, the approximate number sense acuity is how exact it works. And obviously that develops uh, right. with age. And the approximate number sense manipulability, that is what you can do with it. That's that activity that you put two groups of dots together. What can you do with it instead of just looking at it? Um, both um, have an influence on uh, the preschoolers' early math achievement. So they, they okay. both influence that um, apart from each other. Okay. So that means that they are two different things. Right. So it's either the one or the other or both. Or both, exactly. Right. Okay. So um, now these findings suggest uh, so that there's multiple um, connections, multiple routes by which that approximate number system um, helps uh, children to get to a good math achievement. So, and then obviously, uh, so what? Uh, well, uh, if we know this, then uh, this helps us to select interventions and to uh, make components for uh, interventions. Yeah. So they should target both the precision of the approximate number center and the manipulability, so what they can do with it. And uh, if you have both components in there, highly likely that intervention will uh, will turn out to be more effective than only targeting one of the two. Okay. So in, in regular English, um, it means that comparing two groups of dots or, object, or, or um, objects, things, is a different ability than Estimating what you get when you put two uh, groups together or take away, subtract. And again, the recommendation for the intervention is, since they are two different thing, abilities, you need to practice both of them. Yeah, okay. So. <laughs> Meanwhile, the background uh, noise is uh, Susie, our studio dog, who comes and pays us a visit here. Okay, that's great. So the next uh, link is about the, uh, the benefits of considering neurodiversity in marketing and design. Mm -hmm. Is that good? Yeah, uh, it goes without saying that I would be totally in favor of this. So, um, for instance, our daughter is very dyslexic, so neurodiverse. And she thrives while doing her uh, PhD in uh, industrial design. So that is a good example. But now uh, to that article. The neurodiversity movement uh, really wants us to focus on what neurodiverse individuals can bring to the table, not on what they are not able to do, so what their difficulties are, but bank on their strength. 
Don't look for the problems, look for the right. opportunities. Right, not what, what accommodations they might need, That's good. but um, instead of focusing on the negative, on the disability, uh, we can uh, look at uh, discovering, cultivating, and, and protecting the abilities of those people because they bring something very special to the table that maybe non-neurodiverse, if I may say so, mm-hmm. sure. people um, are not so likely to come up with. So if you use a novel method for assessing, training, and managing people with talent, um, companies such as SAP, which you're probably uh, really familiar with, are demonstrating that the neurodiverse approach to their workforce is having really good uh, results. And, and there are significant innovations that are proposed uh, by teams who have an, uh, or more employees that are neurodiverse. Uh, another program was the Then the Lion program of Hewlett Packard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they have found that individuals with um, ASD bring important skill sets to their teams, including um, attention to detail. Okay. Uh, and ASD, uh, you, you mean uh, autism spectrum. Right. Uh, huh? Right. Um, uh, also, some out of the box thinking and the ability to do repetitive tasks very accurately. And they are also highly productive. So the team morale in, in general increased in uh, teams with neurodiverse members. And manager and team leaders uh, actually became better managers and team leaders. <laughs> so product, Unexpected benefits. Yeah, product services and, uh, and actually the profit uh, went up. So uh, that is all a very good uh, uh, effect. Now, the neurodiverse employees themselves have demonstrated real uh, positive impact on on those large corporations, like I said. For example, at SAP, uh, the teams were uh, instrumental in developing technical change in one of their products, and that resulted in an estimated 40 million savings. That's amazing. So... um, It pays off. (laughs) It definitely pays off. Absolutely. Talking to Dr. Schroeder, the founder of DiscoCuliaServices.com, and we're looking at the links provided on our website, DiscoCuliaHeadlines.com. Now, our, our next link that must be interesting for you it's about the fact that special education is a growing priority in teacher training circles. How about that? Yeah, that's very, very close to my heart, as you can uh, can imagine. And, and this is a, a really big thing. There's a huge backlog. And uh, we can do so much good if we uh, help uh, those kids, if we use uh, a lot more uh, research-based interventions, if we start them earlier, if we screen everybody, both for dyslexia and dyscalculia, right. in kindergarten and first grade, because it's definitely cost-effective to do a uh, early intervention instead of letting it slip for years and then having a huge problem that is going to cost the school district a lot of money. So act early, nip it in the bud. That is the best uh, if you look from a uh, financial point of view. Now, um, some uh, numbers here. Um, 
highly likely students with disabilities are around 13% of the public school, public school population. And that is according to 2015-16 uh, federal data. Mm. Now, because of the inclusion movement, that means that uh, as possible, as much as many as possible students should stay in the regular classroom um, oh, and, and educated alongside with non-disabled peers, 63% of those millions of students with disabilities uh, are the majority of their day in general education classrooms. Now, historically, many colleges of education have offered just one or two courses on special education for their general education teacher candidates. And advocates say, and I again will heartedly agree with this, say that that is definitely not enough to know how to teach students with such learning disabilities as dyslexia, dyscalculia, dysgraphia, right. and other conditions, uh, not to, to forget autism and, and ADHD uh, and hyperactivity. Um, and it is not an easy task that we ask of, of teachers that they juggle all these different type of learners in their classroom with a big um, list of accommodations and sometimes uh, differentiations in their uh, approach. So you really need to be very knowledgeable in this field to be able to uh, to deliver what people uh, feel um, the public school system yeah. should deliver. Yeah, I can see that. And uh, we, we also see this often because I do a lot of presentations for mm -hmm. uh, groups of teachers at schools and um, during their professional development days and uh, the teachers are blown away about the facts and details uh, about, in, in our case, then dyscalculia, but I know that uh, our Dyslexia Institute here in, here in Houston has the same experience. So we also do an interactive play okay. where the teachers at the um, start of our presentation um, experience how it is to be a student with dyscalculia right. and really struggling with those numbers and uh, having to sit in a classroom where apparently uh, all the other kids get the numbers easily and they are kind of uh, stuck. So uh, I, I hear back that that's actually a very popular part of the presentation. <laughs> and, and it gets the teachers well into the mood to learn about dyscalculia and also they understand their students better. They now say, so this student was not lazy, they really tried, they put in a lot of effort and they do need that specific help that is based on uh, developmental uh, learning in math instead of just going through the motions and doing the pages in the textbook. Okay, well, that's a good uh, good explanation. So the, uh, the next one has a sort of mysterious uh, title, Brain Sync. Uh, <laughs> it sounds a little bit like, may the force be with you. What is happening here? Well, we already knew that um, when uh, small children, infants, are playing with, with just little things and toys and whatever uh, uh, objects they have, their attempts to pay attention to things are, um, are connected, accompanied by 
burst of high frequency activity in their brain. So they really engage in this multisensorial hands-on learning. Now, they have measured the brain activity of the parents at the same time, and it turns out that they have similar bursts of activity in their brain. <laughs> yeah, but at the same these time. bursts are patterned after the infant's activity. Oh, that's funny. And attention. And not the parent's own attention. So there's an interplay here that's really interesting. And our findings suggest that when a baby pays attention to things, the adult's brain tracks and answers kind of what their little one is looking at, as if their infant's actions were echoed in the brains of the parents. And they also found out that where the parent's brain is more responsive to the child, the child sustains their attention for longer. It's a very interesting study. The interplay between the attention of the little um, uh, little infant and the parent who kinds of reacts to that, and that is obviously uh, a big connection with the uh, with the language development, where uh, the mother. Uh, echoes the sounds that their baby make and then make it just a little bit more interesting and a little bit longer and a little bit more intonation and a little bit more sounds but it's it starts with echoing and, and that is the start of learning language and the same goes for um, learning uh, how many um, things you have how many objects you are you have and how long your chain of little uh, rattles is. <laughs> I, I cannot help myself, but I'm I'm just I have that picture in my mind of these parents with like a helmet on with with sensors and these kids with a helmet <laughs> on with sensors and then playing together. Sounds like a disastrous uh, <laughs> situation. But anyway, good research. I'm glad that they do this for us. Now our next link is about uh, the question. If the, the well-known uh, Down syndrome and, um, and developmental dyscalculia, if they could be related, I think, I think there's lots of uh, children with Down syndrome that also uh, show signs of developmental dyscalculia. And so, so how, how would that be? Have, have they done any, any yeah. research uh, into that? For, from, uh, my, from my own experience, um, I have tutored a few children with, and still am, uh, tutoring uh, students with Down syndrome and uh, the books that you can uh, find about how to teach um, math to uh, students with Down syndrome um, have a lot of overlap um, they usually do not go as deep but they have a lot of overlap with the beginning um, books about how to do a dyscalculia intervention and there's even one program that that uh, that mentions there's some research done that it um, actually works uh, well for some students with Down syndrome, and that program is called Stern Structural Arithmetic, which is very very visual and hands-on based, more than most of the uh, other intervention uh, programs, and. Um, it it has um, it has proven to be effective with mm -hmm. uh, with those type of students too. So um, there is an overlap, but there is obviously also a big uh, difference. Anyway, 
what they say here, this is from the Mathematical Education Research Group of Australia. They presented a paper at the annual meeting mm -hmm. in uh, Melbourne. Actually, that was in, in 2017. And in this paper, the hypothesis is that developmental dyscalculia is a characteristic of Down syndrome. And uh, implications uh, of that um, are also mentioned if it were to be confirmed that um, students with Down syndrome automatically have, that it implies mm -hmm. that right. they have uh, developmental uh, dyscalculia, what would be the consequence for the mathematics education? Well, uh, the use of, these, um, of this assumption means that from early on you have a idea of how we need to help those students and right. i think that is a very good um new development um and one of the things that they um have tested here is um a kind of prosthetic device um that would overcome the um, calculation impairments in the brain. Okay. And it's all electronic. Okay. I have not seen those things myself. Uh, no. I've only read about it. And But if that would become readily available, if we can use that uh, routinely, there is obviously a possibility yeah. um, for helping those students with mathematics. And studying what it does right and then you avoid the problems that medication could have mm -hmm. longer term so okay good developments probably some more research uh, yet to come so our final link for the year 2018 is about mathematical word problem solving so what can we learn there yes the mathematical word problem solving that is a big thing because now we need a lot of activities uh, to get that right i i see that in in my practice that um the word problems are really confusing those kids are a big stumble block and we need to help them uh with explicit strategies to to do this now here is a study uh done with chinese children uh, 116 uh, uh, students in third grade and uh, they were looking at what contributes uh, to having uh, word problem solving uh, issues now this uh, research suggests and, and of course they um, have been controlling for age and nonverbal IQ because mm -hmm. these are, right, are right, already right. known um, factors but if that is um, equal what was significantly uh, associated with having mathematical word problem uh, solving issues first of all working memory okay then the math fact fluency and then reading comprehension and math anxiety now um, that sort of outlines what we need to work on with the children. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that, that those is, are the highlights. That is important. Let's take that meta anxiety away, and that gets us about halfway. It definitely uh, gives educators and parents a uh, an indication 
on how we can help those kids with their uh, word problems. And uh, at first, we as teachers can observe to see what type of mistake uh, children make. And if one type of mistake is occurring over and over, then it indicates that we need to um, direct our intervention in that way. So um, it might happen because a child shows difficulties in processing multiple pieces of information. So that's that's your working memory. Then they might need visual uh, structural help, visual organizers to um, take away that they have to work in their head with the structure of solving and the numbers at the same time. Then uh, sometimes uh, the issue is with comprehending the problem, with reading the problem. And for some other kids, uh, the problem might be in uh, retrieving basic math facts. Well, if that's so, then we know uh, what we can do to overcome these problems and uh, and to pinpoint our, our approach uh, to help the child. Yeah, very nice. Uh, A good new study. Yeah, practice. definitely. Well, that wraps up uh, 2018. Uh, thank you, Dr. Schroeder, for being here, being with us the whole year having all your valuable contributions to, uh, to this, uh, this work. Um, we wish you happy holidays, safe travels if you're going to go uh, overseas, I understand. And uh, we hope to see you back in 2019. And to all of our listeners, we hope you uh, have happy holidays and have a happy and healthy 2019. Absolutely. Very, very happy new year to all of you. And I hope to see you back in the new year. Here you back. Discoculia Headlines Weekly is a production from discoculiaheadlines.com. You can find us on the web at discoculiaheadlines.com and we are on Twitter at discoculiahead. You can also find us on Facebook, we have a board on Pinterest and on Flipboard. Search for Discoculia Headlines or follow the links on our webpage. You can send your questions, comments and contributions to communications at discoculiaheadlines.com and we may even discuss it in one of our upcoming podcasts. We hope this was useful for you and until next week, you can count on us.